Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, and you may have noticed we do have new theme music for the podcast, new intro music. I've been kind of, I was kind of a little bit shocked when I, when I first took over the podcast, how many people asked about this and asked whether we could get this changed up and get something a little more current because uh, I would say it's fair to say that the Bucks aren't really looking to own the future anymore. Um, the, the time is definitely now for them, obviously, best record in the NBA 60 wins last season got to the conference final so I thought that, that was fair enough so we have done that hopefully you guys enjoyed it that got sent to me this morning from our friend Danny Schmitz who was the man who who did the previous intro as well and I like the fact that he was able to keep uh, the call from Ted first of all on the, on the Giannis uh, buzzer beater at New York and then also it's a similar type of, uh, of of theme there or beat in the background. I like it. I think it's fun. And everyone should be out there supporting Danny anyway. He's obviously done uh, some good stuff for this podcast, really, for no other reason other than he loves doing what he does. And I want everyone to see if they can follow him on Twitter at Danny underscore Shred on Twitter. He's a guitarist with... a a couple of bands lost in a name, which you can also find them on Twitter. And then uh, he does some work for Austin John Winkler as well. His Twitter page is telling me he lives in Nashville. So make sure you support Danny because uh, I hope you guys like the theme as much as I do. And long overdue that we got some new music. So I'm excited about this. I was pretty pumped up about this when he sent it through. So uh, no longer owning the future. I think, it, I think it was time, as I said, but I'm going to bring in our guest today. I haven't spoke to him for a couple of weeks. Justin Garcia is back. And Justin, the Bucks are back home tomorrow night or tonight, I guess, by the time people will be listening to this against the Knicks. But there was still some stuff from the road trip that me and Frank didn't quite cover. We sort of hinted at it in terms of some of the lineups that we saw that the, the Bucks played. And I think the most interesting was the game against Sacramento on Friday night uh, where there was even a stretch uh, through the third quarter or might have been early in the fourth. I mean, this was a couple of days ago now. Well, Chris Middleton was the tallest player on the floor for the Bucs. And it's interesting because I don't think that I can give full credit to Bud for trying new things as much as I would say that Luke Walton was uh, playing extremely small uh, the other way. Brooke Lopez only played 19 minutes in that one for that reason, that the Kings weren't super small. The Bucs were forced to go that way as well. And it was interesting in this one because this was the game where Giannis finishes with a season uh, low 13 points. But the guy that we sort of mentioned a little bit yesterday, but I want to go into a little bit more, is Sterling Brown. Came in, had his first double-double in his uh, NBA career, 11 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, he had three assists as well. 
this was a really impressive performance from a guy that had been struggling for quite a while. And I think for a whole host of reasons, he, himself personally, obviously, with the team knowing that he's another guy that is uh, going to be able to come in, add to this depth, potentially force his way back into the rotation. Or again, we, we've mentioned it a couple of times, potentially could have implications with the trade deadline that is getting closer and closer. This is a really positive sign to see him play so well. Uh, yeah, and I think it was uh, – I saw Marcus Johnson tweet it out. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but he did this in what? Uh, he had the – he got to 10 rebounds. He got to the double-double in, I think, 13 minutes. I think he played 18 minutes in that game. And I think uh, Marcus Johnson tweeted it was something like he was only the second player in NBA history to have two or more threes and 12 or more rebounds in less than 20 minutes in a game. <laughs> that I mean, it goes back to what you and I talked about before – where when Sterling was really playing well and probably playing his best early on this season, I thought you could make the, the sake for comparing him to a guy like P.J. Tucker, where we saw them really using him to play bigger than he was, and oftentimes on the wing at the three or the four that he was playing, and just the clip that he was rebounding at early this season, where it was, it was Sterling Brown, DeJounte Murray, and uh, Luka Doncic were the guys that were rebounding at a rate as high as they were for wing players. Uh, so that's a pretty elite company to be in, all things considered. And we just kept saying this over and over last year. It felt like it was with DJ Wilson that it was so impressive. And I remember, again, Marcus Johnson talking with him about this and just how impressive it is for a guy in DJ's case to go a handful of games without playing. And then when he does return to the floor to produce like he did, did and here's Sterling Brown doing the exact same thing but in his case I know he had played um in between then but it seems like the layoff was even longer where he got in the three games prior was strictly garbage time he played the two games I think prior to those three and those were blowouts but other than that he had basically been the forgotten man after whatever it was that happened I don't remember the game but Bud yanked him out pretty quickly and after a blown defensive assignment two straight times and we didn't see him again after that and then for him to bounce back and give this performance I think is pretty big for Sterling Brown moving forward yeah it's interesting to look at this because I I made the comment during this Sacramento game because he spent a bunch of time on the floor with Dante DiVincenzo and when those two are on the floor together and fully engaged it is just kamikaze defense out there. They're flying around all over the place. They're both guys that have no problem with uh, physicality. We've seen uh, Sterling guard guys much bigger than him in the past. They both fly in for rebounds. They're both aggressively looking and hunting for steals. And when those two are, if, if you can get to a point where you can play those two together consistently, um, then I, I think it's, as far as second units go, you really open yourself up to, to have plenty of opportunities to start offense from their defense and their ability to break up plays uh, for the opposition. I think the big thing for me that stands out now when I see that from Sterling, because as you said, he hasn't had uh, consistent minutes and he hasn't been a guy that has been regularly in the rotation as much as, say, uh, Pat Connaughton, the guy that he's, he's battling for minutes for, really. Um, and I, I think part of that is that they both, and now I'm talking about Dante and Sterling again, both those guys defensively do things that aren't exactly from the textbook, let's say that. And I think the difference that or what has separated those two to this point is Dante has been a guy that's been consistently able 
to be a positive factor defensively, even if uh, some of the stuff he does is probably more him freelancing on defense and, and yeah, taking blues. gambles. Gamble. Yeah, exactly. And I remember last year talking to, to Bud about this, about the way that uh, Eric Bledsoe defends. And uh, he, you know, Bud admitted several times that, yeah, Bled's a guy that I kind of let do his own thing out there a little bit because he's so good. Uh, you give him the opportunity to try some things out there. I think Dante's are in that similar category, uh, but he's been able to be more consistent. And I think that that's been the problem with Sterling. As you pointed to, he missed those a uh, couple of times. So I had those bad possessions in a row. And Bud's, you know, if you're going to be doing that and, and you're going to be gambling and, and taking these chances, you have to make the, the right uh, reads defensively. And I, I don't think Sterling's done that consistently enough and it's really hurting. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like the way that uh, Bud used Sterling on Friday against the Kings, too, was the, uh, it, it's the ideal usage for him. And we may have seen it too late in the playoffs last year, but it's a similar way to how he used him against the Raptors, where it seems like just for Sterling's defensive ability and his mentality, where we talk about Giannis playing with an edge, Sterling is the other guy I would point to where – He's just, and again, to go back to Marcus Johnson, I remember he and I having a conversation, and Marcus called him a junkyard dog, where mm. you just unleash Sterling on a guy. That's how Bud used him against the Kings, where the Bucks had that 18-point lead in the first half, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, in, what, three minutes past halftime, the nine-point lead is gone, and the Kings are in front by three, and then Sterling Brown's on the floor, where it seems like that's the ideal usage for him. When things aren't going right, it's, Let's get Sterling out there and let's just change the vibe and the intensity. We saw it again, probably too late against the Raptors where Fred Van Vliet by that point had already hit 83s in the series, but Bud went to him in I think game five where we saw him out there late on him that it seems like that's the role for Sterling Brown, that he's your guy that you put out there to just instill the toughness and change the momentum of how things are headed. Yeah, yeah, and and that's kind of uh, a shame for him, I, I guess, in a way, because you know, projecting back to the start of the season, uh, he was a guy that you hoped was going to be able to become a legitimate fifteen minute a night guy. Now, <laughs> well, I, I I remember before the season, um, it seemed like there were two camps, and people were split on if we told you the ideal replacement for Malcolm Brogdon is on the roster. Is right. it Sterling Brown or is it Dante DiVincenzo? And people were fairly split before the season started. Yeah, and and, and I think again the other the other point to make with Sterling so far uh, this season, and this was really important again to see him uh, not only do the stuff defensively and change the game, hit the glass, do those types of things, but he hit a couple of threes, and then he followed that up the next night. Didn't play a lot against the Blazers, only twelve minutes, but he also hit another three, and that's really important for him because. Uh, he was a guy last year that hit a really, really high percentage, uh, particularly from the corners. He was having a, a rough stretch here this season. He was down to 32% from three. And if you're going to be inconsistent defensively and you're hitting a below average uh, mark from three or really struggling with your own shot, that's going to be a bad formula for you to stay in the rotation. So it's important to see him hit those shots again from the corner. That's where he's comfortable. He's 10 for 21 from three from the left corner this season. That's 47%. Uh, 42% overall uh, from the corners this season. So, yeah, I mean, he has to be able to hit shots as well because I, I think the the other thing that's been a little bit disappointing with him, he hasn't been able to finish at the basket as well as he did last season. He hasn't seemed to improve as a ball handler and, and playmaker 
Uh, so, you know, defensively, I still think he is the area where he needs to improve. The other guy that we sort of just really briefly touched on yesterday, uh, and we probably briefly touched on him for a reason because he didn't play. There's not a lot to, to talk about. DJ Wilson, again, as, as much as we talk about uh, the, the Kings going small on Friday night, uh, the Bucks had no way to he was sober in this one. Generally, you're like, okay, well, this might be some time for, for DJ to get some minutes. Uh, that wasn't the case. And, I mean, I'm at the point now where, to me, it doesn't seem like there's, there's been any push or any real want from uh, Bud or from the Bucks to, to play DJ. And he's only playing 9.5 minutes per game over his uh, just over 20 appearances this season. But he's only played more than 20 minutes twice in a game. One of those was the 44-point win over the Knicks, which, you know, I mean, everyone just about played over 20 minutes in that one. And then the other time was against the Grizzlies where, uh, you know, we know Giannis was in foul trouble. The Bucks' winning streak at the time was in a bit of trouble as well. And he played 21 minutes in that one. Interestingly, in both times that he has played extended minutes, he's, he's scored well. He was 8 for 9 from the field for 19 points against the Knicks. And then uh, against Memphis, 5 for 7 from the field, 11 points. So, um, you know, circumstances aside, when he's got his chance to play more minutes, uh, that's translated into pretty efficient offensive nights for him. But uh, he's really fallen off. And, and I think, again, uh, to, to bring it back to Sterling, we've seen that if they need a, a guy to play those sort of backup forward minutes for uh, at the four position, they're going with smaller lineups and they're trying different things. They're not going to DJ at all. It's starting to feel like the girlfriend that's making excuses for the bad boyfriend <laughs> where we keep pointing to uh, reasons why we believe that DJ will get the chance. And, you know, you go back to the Kings game where you mentioned the Kings – um, it, it felt like that was an opportunity for DJ with no Orson Silva, and we don't see it. And it, it wasn't even fully Sterling Brown until the second half that was playing mm-hmm. those minutes. Mm-hmm. They were just playing small. Um, the Kings were playing some unconventional lineup. So, you know, you can point to that, and I know I did, but still. DJ could play. Come on. Well, I mean, he, he's, he's an athletic guy. He yeah. could be out there defending Nemanja Bielitsa or somebody. Right, right, you could have right. him out there. Um, I guess I'm still in that camp where I still point to there's still 41 games left. And we know Ursan is not going to play all 41 of those games. So, hey, the second half is the opportunity for DJ. And maybe Bud is just trying to keep that close to the vest. And it's something he'll unleash when he needs to in the playoffs. But we're running out of time for that. Well, I mean, yeah, there's 41 games left. But there's three weeks until the trade deadline. <laughs> and if the Bucks are looking for young well, uh, guys with talent that maybe they're, they're, would, that they would find expendable, it's hard for me to believe right now that the DJ wouldn't be a, a part of that if, if they were going to go down that path. Now, I understand why people would be disappointed by that because DJ has been a guy that's uh, been pretty promising at times, particularly defensively. He's shown that he can have you know, sort of game-changing defensive sequences. But uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they, like I said, I just keep coming back to the fact that there's been opportunities and he hasn't played. Now, maybe it's nothing's going to happen. And as you said, uh, if he makes a pass to trade deadline, then yeah, there's plenty of time. But I, I just, at this point of the season, as well as the Bucks are playing, I think if you wanted to give him a chance, it would have happened by now. And, and, and it hasn't. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but... I think we're in agreement that Ursan, I understand why Ursan's name 
is the name that comes up whenever people point to trade rumors. But Ursan Ilyasova is not getting moved. And the problem with the Bucks roster is when you look at those mid-tier contracts, it's really just Ursan yeah. and what George Hill and uh, those guys aren't getting moved. So that's why you gravitate towards DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown. Um, but let's say this. Let's say the Bucks offered a package of DJ, Sterling, and that Pacers number one pick in a draft that doesn't look to be that good and a pick that's going to be outside the lottery. Realistically, what does that even fetch you? Yeah, and look, that's a difficult thing. It was interesting. There was some uh, talk on Twitter yesterday. I think I responded to a tweet from uh, Paul Henning, which he mentioned Robert Covington, who uh, certainly for mine, at both ends of the floor, is one of the more talented guys uh, that that is rumored to be out there. And the point I keep coming back to is, I'm like, first of all, yeah, like why would the Timberwolves, unless they, they really wanted um, or they really valued that uh, another first-round draft choice, which is real, that could be that could be true. Maybe they do really like uh, the look of a, a guy like Sterling Brown to fit, uh, you know, with, with the guys that they already have there. But are they going to move? Why would they move a guy that they have control over, a really good player who's, let's be honest, like his value is not going to go down in the trade market over the and next fairly, couple of seasons. a fairly cheap deal, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a great deal. So that's the problem I see with, with, a, with a guy like that. And then uh, we've, we've been through this a little bit before with Frank. I, I don't know what the move would be uh, that, that Ursan. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's essentially an, an expiring, but, but I don't know what value that has around there anyway. And I'm not sure how many clear-cut upgrades there are. And also, I'm... I'm not sure whether the Bucks have enough uh, to put together for a clear-cut upgrade. So I, uh, I'm still, you know, we, we, we went, I don't want to go over the same stuff because we went through a bunch of trade stuff in the mailbag over the last couple of days. But I'm just, I'm just yeah, I, I just look at DJ right now uh, as a guy that, uh, to me, it, it doesn't seem like uh, he's really in the conversation to, to become a, a real player in this, uh, in this Bucks roster right now as it stands. And, but I think that that is kind of disappointing because when you're winning so many games and winning games by as easy as they are and you're going as deep as you are in, in the rotation, it's like, come on, man. Like, you you, you got to see what you got at some point because at some point you're going to have to make a decision on the guy, not necessarily in the, in the upcoming weeks, but at some point. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's developing sitting on the bench anyway, put it that way. Well, and just to keep it with DJ too, I, I think, you know, if we look at his season – the more disappointing part wasn't so much him not playing against the Kings, but when you go back to some of the previous games and, and games uh, like what the Lakers game, and I think the Kings or the, the uh, Clippers game too, where DJ's not getting on the floor there, where you can see Urson for all the good that he brings and the intangibles that he has and everything that Bud loves about him. Yeah. The one thing I think we all know Urson either cannot do at this stage or it's a big struggle is defending those, athletic fours and we've seen examples where the bucks got away with it and won the game but we saw ursan have some big struggles in some of those matchups and dj wilson was nowhere to be found that's more discouraging than dj not playing against the kings with ursan out i think right yeah i would certainly agree with that and with that we might be able to move now to the bucks next game which is against the new york knicks now uh, uh, to this point, uh, let's just say that the Bucks have not had much trouble against the Knicks this season. They've beaten them by 44 points uh, and then also had a 21-point win. So just a, a pretty comfortable average mar- uh, winning margin 
there of 32.5 points. So they're going to be feeling pretty good about that. Uh, if we look at the, the injury report for tomorrow night, there is an update there. So Robin Lopez is going to miss his first game of the season. He's listed out with rest, which... Uh, still makes me laugh. It made me laugh last week when they did that with Dante. With all the talk of uh, you know, guys having nights off, I wonder if uh, maybe it just has a little bit of a difference uh, on that, depending on the, the star caliber of the player. Depending on Giannis versus Robin Lopez. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't think that uh, there's any problem there. But yeah, Robin's played every single night. So he's going to have a night off there, which is interesting because... Uh, the only other player listed is uh, Frank Mason there, who uh, is actually out injured, but Dragon Bender is not uh, listed. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, as much as we've just spoke about DJ Wilson, uh, if Robin Lopez doesn't play, then potentially uh, Bender gets his chance. We know that he passed that uh, guarantee date last week, which there was a lot of speculation about whether he would or would not make it. So Bender will be with the Bucks tomorrow night or tonight again. And, uh, and we'll see whether he gets some minutes. For the Knicks, on the other hand, uh, Marcus Morris is out in this one. He's actually their leading scorer, scoring over 19 points per game and 46% from three. So think what you might about Marcus Morris. That is, uh, that's a blow for the Knicks who are, are struggling as it is. Uh, Reggie Bullock is listed as probable. Frank Nilakina the same. And also Mitchell Robinson. So we don't know if those three are going to play. Certainly. Uh, if one or two of those guys also miss, I mean, it, it's, it looks like it's going to be a rough night for the Knicks, but uh, they did beat the Heat the other night, 124-121. The, the Dragon Bender thing, as you pointed to, the deadline's already passed, but that was another one I never really understood this assumption that he was going to be waived to create a spot for a buyout guy. With It's a two-year deal. It's very team-friendly for how cheap it is. And all the things we've seen from him in the preseason – and that one regular season game, he seems like the perfect fit for Bud's system and bringing the pedigree of a former fourth overall draft pick that there was just no chance that the Bucks were going to let him go, especially when the future of Ursan is to be determined. And we just went through what the future may hold for DJ Wilson. But I bring it up because just as we said, it was discouraging to not see DJ in some of those matchups against the athletic bigs. Bud has talked, and I know I brought it up at media day, and I think you did and others have, throughout the year and how this year they finally have a backup five, a traditional backup five, right. whereas it was Urson last year. And Bud will you know, talk about how big that is for the defense, but he always goes back to he liked what Urson did in that role that I am led to believe here Urson's going to see a lot of minutes at the backup five tomorrow. So this is another example where if it's Dragan Bender out there instead of DJ Wilson and Urson, that's another reason to say, well, what, what's going on with DJ here? Yeah, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm totally fine. As much as we've sort of said, it would, we think developmentally uh, and, and from a developmental purpose, I should say, you want to see uh, DJ Wilson out there because more looking ahead to the playoffs, if you're looking for a point of difference defensively, as you said, Ersan can have some troubles in some of these matchups and you need to be able to know whether you can play DJ and you can't just throw him out there. Draken Bender's interesting. I mean, he's played at a really high level at the G League. Some of the people I've spoken down there that have been watching uh, the herd play say that the, the most impressive thing with him is that he doesn't try to do too much. And yeah, we'll, we always obviously compare him to the, to the big that the Bucks had last year in Christian Wood. And that was potentially a problem with him that he was playing a, an unrealistic role that was not going to translate to uh, the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA. Bender, that's not the case. 
and he's out there, he's shooting threes, he's playing uh, the same defense, providing some rim protection. And uh, he's a guy that has pretty good hands, makes pretty good decisions, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, certainly at the G League level. So, yeah, I mean, uh, this is a guy that's still very, very young, 22 years old, a, a super high draft pick. And, and if he gets a chance to play some minutes tomorrow night, uh, I think that that would be fun to see. But just looking at uh, what this game means in the overall scheme of things quickly here before we wrap this up, it's interesting uh, to look at the standings now. And, and I, I tweeted this out last night that with the Knicks beating uh, Miami as they did, uh, the Bucks are out to a seven-game lead or a 6.5-game lead now uh, after the Celtics pick up a win. So six-and-a-half-game lead to the second seed not even halfway through January here. Uh, and the other thing of note, uh, the Sixers, as we know, Joel Embiid potentially going to miss up to six weeks, maybe longer. We don't really know. There hasn't been an update there yet. Uh, they lost their sixth game in a row on the road to the Indiana Pacers, the second time that the Pacers have beaten them in the last two weeks. Philadelphia 7-14 and 14 on the road, and they're just nine games over 500 and down in the sixth seed. Without Embiid for another few weeks, I mean, this is, this is bordering on disastrous. And the other thing to note is uh, I, I see a lot of people saying, well, they just need to make a trade now. It's, it's really hard to, to make a, a, a roster-changing trade when you don't have Embiid on the floor anyway. It's, it's getting really complicated with the, with the Sixers. Well, and, you know, it comes down to who do you move to that uh, it just feels like we're headed towards the off seasons where something big happens and they have to decide between Embiid and Ben Simmons, because realistically Al Horford, you know, that was the guy that you would talk about, well, maybe they should move Al Horford, but then Embiid goes down. So that's out of the question. And plus who wants to take on that contract that Al Horford signed to buy a Harris, another one that maybe you would look to, but that's the same thing. And, who wants that Tobias Harris contract. So uh, it's feeling like a team that's basically going to stay put. And if they do make a move, it's going to be one of those smaller scale moves. I just don't think we're going to see a lot of moves, not just by the box by, but by any team at the deadline this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to really picture what the the blockbuster move would be. And, and I tend to agree. It's uh, you know, those, those, those couple of big contracts that they signed uh, is, is going to be, uh, they are both going to be difficult to move, uh, I should say. And, and potentially the, the most interesting thing to watch if this slide continues, does Brett Brown make it to the playoffs? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a guy that uh, certainly through the season last year, there were some question marks uh, on what was going to happen with him. Uh, second round of the playoffs was obviously not what they were, or they were looking to go a lot further than that. Uh, now with the way that this regular season is panning out. And listen, they're only a couple of games back from being in a top three seed in the East, which ultimately is all they really need to do. Uh, but there's just so many question marks about this team. I'm not sure whether Brett Brown is the guy that takes the fall here, but it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. We know the Bucks have uh, the Sixers in town in just a couple of weeks here. Uh, we'll see whether Brett Brown is still around by the time that uh, that game comes. But... Like I said, Bucks and Knicks tonight. That's a 7 p.m. tip-off there. If you go into the game, I would recommend getting there early. Uh, there is some other stuff going on around the arena, and I think it's going to be 
well, chaos depending down there. Depending yeah. when you're listening to this, you may still be sitting in traffic. Right, exactly. I mean, it, it's it's going to be chaos down there, I think. So I'd try and get there early if you can. But we are going to leave it there. Like I said from the top, hopefully you guys did or do approve of our new intro music. You can let us know on Twitter what you think about that, at Locked on Bucks or myself, at Kane Pittman or Frank at Frank Madden NBA. But Justin, we can leave it there. I'm going to speak to you. I'll see you at the arena in a few hours' time tonight. But for Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.